Good morning, church. We're blessed with another morning to be able to come together around God's Word, come together as a community of believers, come together as friends. And whether we're present physically together or present only in spirit, whether we're in the same room, whether we're separated by miles, God is God everywhere and His truth stands. And I'm so excited about the scriptures that we get to read together this morning, the ones that I've been thinking of over this last week, the ones that have just spoken to my heart and I think will speak to us. I'm excited about the potential of what these scriptures could do if they're planted in each of our lives, planted in our community here at New Hope, planted in our families and our marriages. Uh, this is good seed from God's word and when planted this will produce a harvest. There are beautiful things in the scriptures that we'll read today and so I hope for us this morning that as we come together around these words, around this truth of God, they will speak to us and that it will take root, and that it will just bear much, much fruit. So we ask for God's blessing on the reading of these scriptures today. As I was thinking about how to introduce this uh, conversation this morning, I was thinking about uh, something that Michelle often says to me. She often reminds me that we have to keep things practical, tangible, you know, illustrative, um, not too theoretical, not too much big ideas and concepts, you know, theology sometimes can be abstract in a way that then after you learn and after I learn, we're still kind of then figuring out, well, what do we do with that next? It's got to become practical. It has to have application. Otherwise, it's just head knowledge and doesn't change our lives at all. And so as we've been talking over the past few weeks, we've been laying down some of these concepts, some of these big ideas. Two weeks ago, we talked about a theology of community, how God is in community with himself. It's his nature, Father, Son, and Spirit. He is a communal being. And when he created mankind, he designed us not to be alone. It is not good to be alone. That's the one thing that's not good in all of God's creation. It's not good for man to be alone. And God designed man and woman. And then he called Abraham and he called a nation of Israel. He, brought, he came as Christ to earth. And he didn't just pick one person. And Jesus didn't do everything by himself. He brought together a band of disciples together in community who then established churches, which were fellowships of believers. You know, this community is not um, optional. It's essential. It's mandatory. It's how we're made. It's what we're designed for. And we are better together. So that was two weeks ago, right? That concept of, all right, we're better together. This is how God has made us to be. Well, then last week we said, all right, if that's the why, why community, why relationship, why fellowship, why brotherhood, sisterhood? Because God, that's all. It's who he is. It's how we're made in his image. We reflect him in how we relate to one another, how we relate to him. That's our identity. Our relationship to God through Christ is our, our basic identity. And it's either healthy or fractured or some place in between. So that's the why. Why community? Because of God. It's his design and his nature. But last week we talked about sort of how. Focus just on Jesus. What's Jesus' method for developing people? What's Jesus' mode or his means, his approach? What's his master plan for how to approach ministry and evangelism, spreading the good news? When we saw that Jesus had groups of people around him, he had a three, a group of three that were his most intimate friends. And he shared everything with them. He took them into the most personal places in his life. They experienced the most intimate of experiences, you know, mountaintop experience where Jesus was transfigured. 
and the garden, they went further than all the others. So he had those three. He invested in those three for years. And then he had the twelve, this band of brothers, this small group, this community, this committed group of friends, believers. They did miracles together. They learned. He explained to them in more detail all the things he was saying in general terms and in parables to the crowds. They talked. They worked it out. They, you know, they did miracles together. They, they saw the 5,000 and 3,000 fed. They, they were together in ministry, committed to one another. And then we see later on that Jesus had the 70 that he sent out. Other disciples, you know, the generational aspect of training others who will train others, all being sent out part of a larger Christian community, and then the broader kind of kingdom, you know, the 120 and the outward. And so last week we talked about if the why of community is because it's how we're made, it's because who God is, and how do we go about that? Well, we invest ourselves very intentionally in, in a small group of intimate friends and in a small uh, group of 12, you know, uh, uh, a, a collection, um, a small community of friends, brothers and sisters, and then part of a larger community, and then part of the kingdom, then that's how we go about doing it. And I hope that in these last couple of weeks, you and I have been challenged to say, well, let's step out. How do we do this? Who do I want to invest in? Who is God putting on my heart? Who do I need to invest in me? Well, committing to those three, committing to those 12, bonding together, and uh, being intentional in living out our faith together. But those two are still big ideas. So that brings us to this week. This is more sort of the what. Let's say that we all agree, okay? Scripturally, the mandate for community and the DNA of it being part of us as humans, true. Jesus' mode, we want to follow his methods. So we have an intimate few. We have a small group. We have a church. We have a kingdom. Okay, good. What do you actually do with those people? Now, we want community, we agree with it, we, we've identified people we're going to do community with. What do you do? And it's in that question, I think, that we might find ourselves just reverting back to whatever we've done in the past as our only available options. That's where I would like to challenge our preconceptions this morning. The scriptures that we have about what we do together as believers, about what we need from community so that it'll be nourishing and satisfying and help us grow spiritually, are more principles than they are practices. And if we were to stop and say, okay, I, I've talked with these three people, these are my people, we're going to commit together. What are we going to do? Well, maybe we should get together and read a book of the Bible once a week. Or maybe we should get together every Saturday night at Panera and have a prayer time. Or maybe we should get together and have brunch every Saturday morning or every other week or once a month. So now you're kind of identifying, but what do you do with one another? Is it the right thing to do to have 15 minutes of prayer and 15 minutes of scripture reading and 15 minutes of accountability to see where everyone's at? Or is there a pattern? No, what we see in scripture again and again and again and again is God's principles, his truths. And then he asks us in our community to walk by the Spirit to figure out how to put those principles into practice in our unique circumstance. If three families get together and they all have a bunch of tiny kids and babies, the way that they're going to put these principles into practice will look much different because there'll be little kids running around. If it's a group of three or four men or women 
very similar place in life that can talk deeply and relate on lots of levels and go deep, then that's going to look different. If it's a bunch of people that are just getting to know one another, it's going to look different than people who have known each other for years. If it's happening in a retirement community or in a high school, we practice these principles of faith. We put them into practice by saying, Holy Spirit, how do you want us to live out who you've called us to be? So what scripture can give us is the truth of what we need. This is spiritual food this morning. That's what these scriptures are. Spiritual seeds. And we plant these, they will grow and they will produce a harvest. It will feed us and it will feed those around us. We will not be hungry. Because we can be in community and still feel alone. We can be in community and still feel hungry. But these are the things that satisfy us. These are the things that nourish our souls. And so I want to challenge us to accept the mandate from God in his nature and his design to come together. We are better together. And to approach it the way Jesus did, to follow his model. Close group, two, three, four, just a close group of intimate friends, a small group, you know, somewhere around the 12 where we can be committed in life and reach out in mission and love our neighbors. A church where all those little groups can come together and recognize what God is doing in all of our little pockets of faith and then recognize this is a kingdom thing. God's doing this on a bigger scale even than we can see, but we're a part of something good. If anything good will happen within our community, within our communities, it will be because these things are happening. And if these are missing, even if we get together every Saturday night, every Friday night for a small group meeting, or every Sunday morning for a Sunday brunch, we'll still feel like something's missing. But when we plant these things, they nourish us. This is food for our soul. So I'm excited to talk today about practical things. Almost all these scriptures are just intensely practical. I hope that you start thinking as we read through some of them, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? I hope some of them jump out as, oh, I think this is kind of a missing piece. That we should pursue that. Go after that with your three. Go after that with your 12. Go after that with our 70. Right? Pursue the things that will nourish us and that will grow us in our faith so we can bless others. So you have a handout this morning. These have all the scriptures we're going to read. There's many of them. So instead of just flipping around in our Bibles, we're just going to look at this page, read the scriptures. I encourage you with your three, with your 12, on your own, read through these full passages. Dig into these scriptures. Think about, with the Spirit's help, what does this look like for me? And make it as practical as we can. Things that we need, or when we're looking around, the things that we know that the people around us need. So as you can see from the top there, all of these revolve around a single Greek word. So that'll be our, our Greek word focus. It's like a word study for this morning. The word is alelon. The Greek word alelon means one another. So it's like a mutual word. One another, alelon, together, each other. And that word appears a hundred times. There are 100 alelon statements in the New Testament. So the New Testament has combinations of everything that Jesus did, you know, his biographies and the Gospels, and then all these letters to the early church and the Christians. So there's statements wrapped up in Jesus' ministry and in all the teachings to the churches of how we are to treat one another, how we are to love one another, how we are to live together with one another, how not to treat one another, how not to live with one another. So these statements then, these alelon statements, become practical examples of what it means to love one another. We're called to love one another, but again, it's a vague concept until we make it concrete. 
So on this page here, you'll see in front of you, of those 100, it's a summary, you know, some of the biggest ones, a summary of many of the same. I think there's 37 on this sheet. I'd like to just read them for you, have you think them through, um, try to identify with specific ones. And once we've gone through these and talked about it a little bit more this morning, as we have a few times before, we're going to separate into some breakout groups and talk about which ones of these speak to our hearts the most, which ones are the most challenging, which ones are the most nourishing, um, and think about what it looks like. So we're trying to make this as practical as possible this morning, that one another, together, we would come together in community and recognize that all these things are meant to be growing. All these seeds are truths that we want to plant in our lives to see them grow. So of the 100 delay loans, uh, let's look at these 37, kind of slowly go through them together. First one is to love one another. This is agape love. This is sacrificial love. Uh, this is love that costs. This is love that gives. This is love that serves. As you see there, this command occurs at least 16 times. So this is a big one. This is the primary one. Love God and love your neighbor. Command from Jesus. What does that look like? Well, let's continue down the list and read some more and see what that can look like. It means to be devoted to one another. Well, what's that mean? Well, what's the opposite of devotion? The opposite of being devoted means you are inconsistent with one another. Are we inconsistent with one another? means you're undependable. Not devoted, you're undependable. Someone says, I'll be there, and then we're not there. Are we that way with one another? I know I am at times. I know we are at times. We can be honest about these things. But being devoted means I'm there when you need me to be. You're there for me when I need you to be. We're there for each other when we need to be. Devoted. Devotion is beyond just even like commitment. It's like wholehearted, you know, devotion. I devote myself to you in, in like a, a marriage ceremony. Lifelong devotion. We devote ourselves to God. Community can't be community if we're flaking out on each other. If we're in sometimes, out sometimes, oh, I'll be there, or I drop the ball, no show, no call, that kind of thing, that's not devoted. And when that happens again and again, we start to lose trust in one another. Devotion is like love. It's a bedrock principle. All these other ones kind of sit on that. It needs to be secure. Are we together or are we not? Are you devoted to me? Am I devoted to you? Are we not? We have to be. But once we plant devotion, that seed of devotion, into our group of three or our 12 or our 70, trust builds, community builds, friendship, love is fostered. You understand. The next one, honor one another above yourselves. So let's not be bragging about who we are, our degrees, our successes. Honor one another. Brag about each other. Celebrate one another. You know, a child graduates preschool. Make a big thing out of that. And when we graduate from our master's or our doctorate, make a small thing of that. <laughs> Celebrate others. It doesn't matter where we think we fall in the hierarchy. We're all one in Christ. So honoring one another is not so much based on measurables. It's just based in the value and worth of that other person. We love that other person. We're devoted to them. Let's honor them. Lift them up. See something good in them and celebrate them. Praise them. Compliment them. Honor one another's above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Harmony just means we're getting along. If we're not getting along, if we're giving each other the eye roll when the other person talks, if we're crossing our arms in conversation, if we're walking the other way, if we're not picking up the phone, if we're not responding to texts, um, if we're frustrated, if we're irritated, then we're not living in harmony. And those small irritations can become big divisions. 
So plant harmony. Get together. Work it out. We work it out. We love each other. We love God. God can heal all things. He can do all things. So because we're devoted to him and each other, we're trying to make harmony happen. It's like singing. <laughs> Melody and harmony beautifully matched together. No dissonant chords, just together. How about building one another up? This kind of goes with the honoring, right? Build one another up. You see someone who's down? Someone says something about themselves that shows a sense of lack of self-worth, maybe, or lack of confidence. Oh, I could never do that. Build them up. Like, you can do that. I could help. You want some help? Oh, you're great at that. Or are you not so good at this thing? That's fine. Do you know how many strengths you have, how great you are in all these areas? Nobody's good at everything. Who cares about that? Be who God's made you to be. Build one another up. That has to be in our community. If that's happening, that feels good. If you have a group of three that's doing that for one another, or 12, or 70, we want to get together with them. We want to be devoted to a place that builds us up. And it's a command from Christ. Build one another up. Don't try to build one another up. Don't not build one. Do it. It's a command. All right, be like-minded. Try to think along the same lines. If you're coming from entirely different places, politically or age-wise or in any other way, try to see some things from the other person's point of view. doesn't mean we have to agree on everything and have the same opinions, all be robots. Like-minded means we, like, understand. We become of one mind. Not all have the same opinions, but we, like, can understand each other. We can think enough like one another to get along and think together instead of thinking, well, I could never do that. I don't like how this person does that. No divisions. Like-minded. Accepting one another. Someone comes in smelling bad. Someone comes in looking dirty. Are we accepting? Someone comes in dressed to the nines you know, on a Sunday morning or to our, our small group. Do we elevate them or do we diminish ourselves? No. Just accept everybody. Accept everybody. No matter our faults, no matter our strengths, just accept. Equal. 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 Also, admonish everyone. No one, not pastors, not elders, not deacons, not anyone should be free from having someone be able to say to them, I don't know if you should have said it that way. I don't know if you should have done that. And it's in those admonishing moments, it's kind of like cheerleading, it's like coaching. Like, mm, come on, come on, we can do better than that. If I don't have that, if you don't have that, how will we ever grow? We need to be willing to be admonished, which can be difficult. But if we're really just trying to do the best we can, then when we find out something wasn't the best way, we say, yeah, I think you're right. My spirit testifies with your spirit. I accept that. Or here's what I was thinking. Let's talk about it. Or I didn't see that. You know, but we, we accept that conversation and we give it. It's always gentle, but it's there. How about greet one another? Just a smile and a handshake and a hug, right? Whatever. Some people don't like hugs. Some people love hugs. Do we greet one another with love? We need to. That fosters community. Care for one another. Someone needs help. You know, they broke their leg. They can't get around. Help them all their lawn. Someone's back from the hospital. Make a meal. Care for one another. Someone's walking in and their arms in a sling. Open the door for them. Someone's crying and, and mourning. Hug them. Sit next to them. Listen. Just caring for one another. Serving one another. Just do whatever we can to help. Whatever someone needs, we got that. We can do that. Bear one another's burdens. Someone has a heavy heart because of an incident in their life or something going on, help them with that. Either just be a listening ear, be an advice giver, be a prayer prayer warrior, supporter, step in and help in some way, but help bear each other's burdens. It's too heavy sometimes to do alone. Help each other. Forgive one another. I sin against you, you sin against me. This happens. Can we forgive one another? 
That's where the grace has to come in. That's how we work together. Be patient with one another. Sometimes the good thing is like two steps away. We just want it one step away. And if we're willing to just wait a minute, it'll get there. So instead of confronting or attacking everything immediately, take a breath, give it a second, and be patient. As we address everything immediately, sometimes it can be overwhelming. We just need to give each other a breath. Take five. This might be a week, might be a month, might be a day, might be an hour, might be a minute. I don't know. But sometimes patience will bring what we're looking for versus confrontation, which can be hasty sometimes. All right, we're about halfway through. Speak the truth in love. Just be truthful. No white lies. No sugarcoating. No flattery. Just honesty. We love each other. Speak truth. Be kind. Just be kind. We're supposed to be kind to each other. And compassionate. Have compassion on others. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing together. Speak psalms to one another. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, be scriptural and prayerful and joyful. Sing and talk with joy to each other. Submit to one another. I submit to you. What is God saying to you? Submit to me. What is God saying to me to say to you? Submit to one another. What is God saying to all of us? Who needs what? Submit to that leading. Let God be the leader. All of us following him together. Consider others better than yourselves. Again, elevating others. Look to the interests of others. Actually actively look what are other people's interests and needs? Oh, I see one. There's an opportunity there. Maybe I can help. Bear with one another. Oh, just bear with each other. It's going to take a while for us to become fully sanctified. And it's going to happen when we die. So the entire time that we're alive, we are being sanctified. We are growing in faith and maturity. That's a lot of bearing with until we get perfect. And then by the time we get perfect, we'll all be perfect together with Christ and be fully perfected, fully whole. <laughs> so this lifetime is about bearing with one another. Your community of three is going to take some bearing with. Your 12 is going to take some bearing with. Our 70 is going to take some bearing with. But do it. Because when we plant that seed and that grows and we're patient, we bear with one another and we're devoted no matter what, the good things do come. We just have to plant them and let them grow. Teach one another. Not just pastors teach, not just Sunday school teachers teach. Teach each other. So what has God said to you that he wants to say to me? Tell me. I want to know. It's inspiring to have someone come to you and say, oh, this is what God said to me this week. Like, Wow, that's a great thought. I didn't think that thought. Maybe I've never thought that thought. Or maybe I really needed to think that thought right now. Teach me. I want to learn. You want to learn. Teach one another. God's the teacher, so as long as we have the scripture and the spirit, we can teach one another. We have all the tools necessary. Comfort one another. Who's sad, who's sick, who's lost a loved one, who's lost a job, whose family members are failing or hurting in some way. Comfort. Encourage. Build each other up. That actually means come alongside one another. So come alongside. Exhort one another. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Sometimes I need to hear from myself. We can do it. We can do it. And it's not through our strength, it's through the Spirit, but failure is not God's plan. So it can be done. With God, all things are possible. With man, this would be impossible. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for him who believes. We can do it. Uh, exhort one another. Challenge. So that kind of comes in with the admonishing. Challenge. All right, careful, careful. Sometimes you just need a warning. 
That's real love and we're willing to warn one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. You look at your neighbor and be like, ah, more love. Come on, we can do this. More love. Good works. What are we doing to serve those around you? Love. Active. Active. Love. We should stir and provoke one another to that. Show hospitality. Eat together. Make meals for one another. Share with one another. Share homes. Share life. Share meals. Share family. Hospitality. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. So use our gifts. Clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Right? Pray for one another. If you get together and pray, not just with each other, you know, back to our example, okay, so I've got this committed group of three or twelve. What do we do? Let's get together and have a prayer meeting. Okay, we could pray with, but the actual command here is pray for one another. Say you're going to have a phone conversation once a week with this person or that person. Pray for one another over the phone. Say you're going to meet at the Dunkin' Donuts with a few people once a week. Pray for one another. Yes, pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the church. Pray for missionaries overseas. Pray for those. But pray for one another. Ah, oh, it's a healing thing to hear someone pray for you. And when you see your prayers answered in someone else's life through God's grace, that is a rewarding spiritual experience that I would want everyone to understand and have experienced for themselves. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. If something's not good, just say it. Admit it. Confess it. That's where the group of three is best served. It's personal. It's confidential. It's trusting. It's committed. It's not broadcast. It's not with a large group of people we don't know if we're really committed to one another or not. It might be visitors or strangers in on a Sunday morning. Can I share? Should I not? you got to share everything with your three. All the stuff. Everything. And then you know what to pray for. We just pray for one another and see God answer those prayers. But there needs to be confession. Just a few more. These kind of focus on what, what not to do. Do not lie to one another. So don't lie to me. Don't lie to each other. Don't lie to yourself. Put that out. No white lies. No flattery lies. No outright lies. No cover-up lies. Just honesty. God knows it all anyway. Let's be honest. Don't judge one another. Don't judge this person as better or this person as worse. Just we're all the same. No judgment all people under God's eye. Don't keep biting and devouring each other. Like This person says this and we jump on it and we chew it up. Or this person does this and we devour and we spit them out. No, we'll be destroyed, the Bible says. We'll actually kill each other if we treat each other that way. Don't become conceited or provoke each other or envy one another. So no elevation with conceit, no provoking. If you know something's going to irritate someone, just don't say it. Don't do it. And don't envy be content. Don't slander one another. You know, don't talk bad about anyone when they're not there. Don't talk bad about your husband if you're somewhere else. Don't talk poorly about your wife if she's not there. Don't talk poorly about other people in the church if they're not the ones you're in conversation with. Don't talk poorly about your pastor or your elder or your deacons or your ministry leaders if they're not there. Don't talk poorly about the people in the other church down the street. Don't talk poorly, poorly about your in-laws. Don't talk poorly about your children to other parents, as if, oh, as parents, we can... No. Slander means tearing someone else's image down in other people's minds. Because when you slander someone and they're not there to ever fix it, that person doesn't know. And so now you've put this negative thought about this person in someone else's mind. You've given them some poison, and then you walk away, and maybe you work it out. If it's you and your spouse, then it's better. Or if it's you and your kids, your kids grow up and they develop, and those... 
But this person doesn't ever know how things were resolved. So you just gave them poison that can never be exercised. And the person who's over here being slandered about, they don't even know where all this poison is spread. And then they relate to this person. This person has a negative slander. It's just this tearing thing. And it's a poisonous thing. It's a cancerous thing. And it gets in and it spreads and it grows. If we do that, then we'll lose the trust of our three. We'll lose the trust of our twelve. We talk face to face. We don't talk about each other, especially not negatively when that person, anybody, who doesn't matter who they are, are not present. And we don't grumble against each other. Don't murmur, don't grumble, don't complain about this, don't complain about that. We do all this because we are members of one another. We are a body, we are together. Whenever we do these things, it's breaking us apart. But whenever we plant the positive things, it's planting all these good things that are going to bind us together. It's nourishing you know, the whole body as it's knit together. That's how Colossians says it. Every joint, every ligament is knit together and we're nourished as we grow up into Christ, who is the head of the body. So all of us are meant to be together. Christ is meant to be the head. These things are meant to be the spiritual food. Now, as we think about these, we think, okay, which one of these things do I want the most? What am I lacking? What am I hungry for? What do I need to have grown? And who am I going to grow up with? I can't help but relate it to where we are as a church, as a whole. You know, the concept of pastor and congregation, you know, the kind of clergy and laity, it's a false distinction. It's not how the Bible does it. The Bible teaches body, so I am one of these parts of the body. I may be a teacher, I may be a pastor, but that means that my role is to introduce to all of us as a teacher what God says, and for me and for you and for us to come together and do it. So I need all these things as much as anyone needs all these things, but it's also equally not my role to do all these things for all of us. It's for us to do them for one another. It's not just one and then every other. It's one another. You know, think about what it would look like if it was one for every other, pastor for everyone. That means that it would be my role to love every other and mine to be devoted to every other, mine to honor, to live in kind, to build up, to accept, to admonish every other, to greet every other one, to care for every other one, to serve every other one, to be patient with every, to speak the truth, uh, to teach every other one, to comfort, to exhort, to show hospitality to every other one. You know, that becomes an impossibility. And that's what we've been talking about. This body, we need to come together as a church, church's body. But if it's one another, then whoever are your three, those things are happening within those three. And the role of the pastor, the teacher, is to make sure that we all, like sheep, that's what a shepherd does, pastor means shepherd, gather us around the spiritual food, the good grass where we all can eat. This is God's truth. These are what we need. This is what I need. This is what you need. Let's come together around these things. And in threes and in twelves and in our seventy here as a church, Let's make sure that we're planting, that we're harvesting, and that we're reaping the fruit, and that we're enjoying and being nourished by all these things. You know, it's an impossibility if it's one and every other, but if it's one another, it becomes very possible. And we're not so much feeding each other truth that we are, we're gathering around God's truth, and we're planting His Word like seeds in our lives, and it's growing in our midst, and it's enriching us all. And this brings us to one of our final points as well. One another could be implicitly kind of implying that this is just meant to be how Christians treat one another. You know, the one another. Okay, one another as new hope, one another with my three of my twelve. But really, if we recognize that all people are people, 
I'm just a person that's been introduced to the grace of Christ and it's changed my life. I've accepted that. I want that. I, I live for that. My eternal security depends upon that. Then I'm no different than the person who lives next door to me, except that perhaps they haven't either encountered the grace of Christ or haven't experienced or accepted it. But I have the same needs that they do. They have spiritual needs and hungers. The admonishing, the exhorting, the encouraging, the build up, they need to be invited into that. They need to be offered that. They need to be brought together around this great grassy field where we all like sheep, believers and non-believers alike, can come to eat to say, ah, this is good. When we experience Christian community, it should be like that early church in Acts 2 where the, the believers enjoyed the favor of the people around them uh, because they were loving each other in tangible ways. Think about how tangible it is to make a meal for someone, hospitality, to care for and serve one another, to pray for one another, to comfort, to teach. These are very tangible, practical things. We look in each other's eyes and say, what do you need? I'm here for you. What do I need? Please help me with this. What if the non-believers around us were like, you need this too. This is good. Come, get some food. Come, get some truth. Come, get some serving. Come, get some loving, get some encouraging. And when people recognize that there's food for the soul, there will be those who say no thanks, but there will always be that number that says, this is what I've been missing. The one another is not just for believers. It is how we relate as believers, but it is for everyone because God loves everyone. So we're supposed to be extending this one another love to all the others. So it's not one and every other, and it's not one another just within the Christian bubble. It's for all the others. Every human needs all these things. And if we can have communities that meet in our home, that maybe meet here at church on Sunday mornings, that are together at a Panera or a Dunkin' Donuts or at a church once a, a week on a, a weeknight or a week morning or wherever, then those are the places we want to welcome others to and say, I recognized something and you might be a little bit hungry for this. Come and check out what God has to offer. Not what I have to offer. The spiritual food. I think you'll like it. And so that brings us to kind of a closing scripture. It's in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. It simply says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith. There can be a fatigue factor, right? We get tired. That's the flesh. That's not God. When we're tired, that's our flesh. We lean back into God for his rest and for his strength in those moments. We don't think, oh, I can't do it anymore. We can, because he can. That's where we need our community to encourage and lift up one another. Need to know that God's power is what flows through us. It's not human strength. If we're tired, just be physically tired. Let God take over and carry us, like that Footprints poem. So when we grow weary, don't give up. That's where you need someone alongside you to pick you up, like Ecclesiastes 4 says. You know, who will be there to pick us up if there's no one next to us? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So we will reap in due season of all these things that are planting God's truth if we don't give up. So then every opportunity we have, whether it's at the grocery store or at school with our coworker, or whether it's at pickups for um, our children or whether it's over the phone with our relative who lives in California or whether it's on a Sunday morning with a visitor that comes and sits down next to us or whether it's in conversation with our pastor or with our friend or with uh, a stranger, 
every opportunity we have, let us do good to everyone. All right, well, there's that big concept. What does it mean to do good? Well, we just read 37 ways that we are to do good in very specific ways. Accept one another, care for one another, greet one another, greet one another with a smile. Giving someone a smile is a greeting, and that's spiritual soul food. Whether we recognize it or not, it's not a small thing. It's part of a big thing. And when it's planted, that greeting, that warm welcome, like, I'm excited to see you, even if I've never even met you, that will feed a spirit. We need that. Everyone needs that. So let us do good to everyone, wherever we see an opportunity, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith, especially to us and believers. So there should be the highest concentration of all of these practical, good food for our soul every time believers get together. But when we're the church scattered and we're not the church scattered, we should be looking for opportunity to do good to everyone because this is for everyone. A lay alone, one another is everyone. And when the peace of God and the love of God and the manifested hands of God and mouth of God reach their way into the world, people say, oh, God is good. And when we get together with our three and our 12 and our 70 and we see these things, we say, God is good. We warm ourselves together in the warmth of God's love. If these things are lacking, we're going to go spiritually hungry, even if we get together to read our Bibles or pray, get together to talk about faith. So I encourage you, I challenge you, I beg you to be intentionally investing in community. It's how God's made us to be. We are not okay apart. Apart is not apart. Apart is broken. Together is better. Together is the way we're meant to be. Let's follow Jesus' model. Who are your three? If you don't have them, pray for them. I remember when I was a little boy, I used to pray for a best, best friend. Didn't have many kids my own age. In our church, I didn't relate to many of the kids that were there in the early church. And then it's a new hope. I wasn't always at the same age level. There weren't always people that were my age that were believers. So for a long time, I used to pray for a best friend. I should still pray for close friends. My wife is my best friend, that partner in faith. But I can't rely upon her completely. She's just a part of this community that God needs for me and that I need. And I'm part of a community that others need. So we need to intentionally invest in that three, those 12, the 70, the 120, the kingdom. And we need to do these things. So there's the why. There's the how. This is the what. And now I want to encourage us to break off into small groups to see what this looks like practically for us this week, this morning, and in our lives. And challenge you to think about how to plant these good seeds of God's truth in your Christian communities and in our world.